I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. Welcome to the Tim May Podcast. I'm Tim May. So this podcast is, as I like to say, aptly named. Uh, in, in about 25 or 30 minutes, we'll have my good buddy, Boston. You know him as Austin Ward on to discuss uh, some of the subjects of the week, including uh, how great Ohio State has been from a defensive side in the uh, National Football League draft five, the last five years, about the Big Ten once again moving the start date, uh, beginning of activities, will they re- reevaluate up to June 1? We'll discuss that, what it means for Ohio State ramifications-wise. I'll give you some insight from a couple of insiders on how Ohio State seems to be preparing uh, for possibility of return. Once they do return, what will the world be like for the Ohio State players, coaches, support personnel, et cetera? I have some interesting uh, takes on that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But before we do all that, uh, bringing, I'm going to be bringing on a guest here in a minute. We recorded this earlier Uh one of my favorite players ever at Ohio State, and by favorite I mean you asked this man a question, he gave you an answer. Uh, he was controversial in some people's minds about the way things went down in 1991 when he abruptly left the team. Uh, of course, you know who I'm talking about. That was a good. That was a good clue. It's Robert Smith, who's gone on, you know, played in the NFL, uh, still holds the NFL record, I do believe, for average yards per carry by a regular running back of something like 8.7 yards per carry, which is still crazy when you think about it. He quit, I think it was after six years, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember how many years in the NFL, but he quit early because uh, he wanted to preserve uh, He wanted to preserve what was left of him uh, as a human being, so to speak. And, you know, uh, but uh, the reason I brought him on, my, on this podcast is uh, he and I were communicating the other day on Twitter after he revealed some things about his past, his childhood, which I didn't – be honest with you, he didn't know about back when he was at Ohio State about how he had, in essence, a gangster as a father and what that meant to uh, his home life for his mom, his his uh, brother. And uh, we'll get into that pretty deep. I mean, Robert's a great guy because he's really not afraid to talk about anything, anywhere, anytime. And, uh, and of course, you know, he does an- anal- analysis work for Fox and does uh, game uh, game analysis work for Fox and is, I think, extremely talented at it because he's always got something interesting to say. So, uh, like I said, I picked your interest in the fact that Boston, you know him as Austin Ward, is going to be coming on uh, after that. So, no matter what you think of the interview with the Robert Smith, I think you'll really like it. Stay tuned for the, uh, for the uh, regular fare, uh, the regular pre-fee, which is uh, Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. So, here we go, ladies and gentlemen my interview 
with Robert Smith. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back uh, with my special guest for this week. Uh, you folks remember this guy. He was the bonus baby of the 19, what was that, 1990 recruiting class, Robert Smith, the guy that John Cooper had to get to solidify his his rebuilding uh, program at the Ohio State University. And Robert Smith had choices, including USC, et cetera, but he picked Ohio State. And Robert, I'm just using that as the intro because everybody remembers who you are. And everybody knows who you are, remembers who you were, so to speak. But I uh, appreciate you coming on my program, my man. Oh, always good to see you, Tim. And it's hard, I mean, 30 years, man. Blink of an eye, right? Oh, yeah. It goes by It goes by faster than that. I've got a grandson now that was born the day after I retired from the dispatch, and now he's a year and four months old. So go figure, man. I mean, Incredibles and uh, Toy Story. That's what I watch every afternoon because I'm babysitting while my wife and uh, – my, my wife, my, my son and his wife do uh, work at home. But I digress. You know, let's just get right into it. What I want to talk to you about before we get into some of the other things, uh, you, you pay attention. You do commentary on college sports, et cetera. You saw where the name, image, and likeness situation, the NCAA is exploring opening that up for uh, Division One. well, all athletes, but Division One A football and, and basketball where it's really going to make a difference. Uh, they're possibly by the 21-22 school year. Number one, what's your reaction to finally seeing some thawing, uh, if in fact that's not a huge crack, you know, glacially uh, in that regard? Well, I mean, I, it, it, it's, it's long past due. Um, but I, I think that, that from a practical standpoint, there are a lot of considerations. Uh, and th these conversations, I'm sure, are still going on. Uh, but there are a lot of reasons why it didn't get there or here sooner. Um, but I do like seeing the changes. Now, um, one thing that I, I, I want to emphasize is student athletes are students as well, right? Yeah. And the allure of the name, image, and likeness money, because a lot of people think that it's just, it, you know, that there's this big wad of cash for every athlete out there. And that's just not the reality. Right. And we had something similar with the NFLPA. So I, I became a, I, I became a union rep in my second year in the league in 94. And that time saw the creation of Players Inc., which was the, for, which is the for, for-profit entity for the union. And a lot of players were upset in the coming years because they felt, yeah, like the big money guys, the, the real big names, they're getting money, but we want you guys to create more opportunities for us. And some guys just aren't as marketable. And that's a, that's a reality that people are going to have to face on, on the college level as well. Yeah. I was going to, you know, I, had, I did a piece with Jordan Fuller, uh, Ohio State safety last year. He was in Chicago at the pre, pre, you know, Big Ten meetings. You remember those? And by uh, now, uh, you know about those. But my point was, a few of us were talking to him, and he was already bringing up, you know, the, you know, he was a. These guys have been advocating this kind of stuff for a while. Just to, why did it take so long? You know, and it, and I said, well, you know, what would that be like in a locker room where you've got starters, you've got the big time stars making so much money off of this stuff? and a third or second team right guard, you know, et cetera, getting zero, no interest in him for, in, for interviews or, or uh, autographs, et cetera. And he said, well, you know, really, in the NFL, you've got the same kind of locker room. You've got the star player making $8, 10 $12 million a year, you know, more than that. 
and some guys making league minimum, which now is what seven ninety five or whatever it is. It's a low number, uh, yet they still play the game together. And yeah. I'm going, but that's a professional, you know. And he said, you know, guys would learn to adapt. They would get along, et cetera. Do you think it would cause a problem in a college locker room? Um, I don't think it would necessarily cause a problem in the locker room because I think that players are going to – they're going to understand that part of it. And they're their teammates. They go through so much together. So they can understand that part of it. But the, the part about them being students and the fact that it can become a distraction, it's more of a distraction if a player feels that they should be more marketable and so they're spending more time pursuing those types of opportunities yeah. rather than worrying about school. And then you have the agent slash runner, hey, I can deliver, you know, that kind of guy. And again, I, I just – I would hate to see players – get sidetracked with what their primary purpose is there to be a student and an athlete at the university, primarily a student, uh, and then worry about your team and your teammates, not, you know, can you pick up a little bit of side cash because some slick runner said that those opportunities were available. Yeah. My buddy Austin Ward is on lettermanroad.com and I know you know of him, but uh, he and I were having that discussion Earlier, we, we had a discussion with a coach, one of the assistant coaches at Ohio State, I won't name, but in the hall one day last fall. And he said, yeah, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when I've got a meeting scheduled yeah. and my star, my star guy is doing a commercial shoot, you know, for X, X uh, car dealership or X insurance company, and he's late to the meeting, you know, what, you know, you can just see this, you know, it sounds really good on paper right now, but the execution of it, is going to be the, the, the trick, right? And, and, and the time, you know, the, the time available is so small anyway. And I know right. that they've changed some of those rules, you know, that you have only the 20 hours a week. Uh, but still, if you're in any kind of major that requires some actual time away from the classroom, then, you know, when do you have those types of opportunities? And ultimately, if we're not trying to prepare kids for when their playing days are over, then we're doing them a disservice even if they can pick up a little bit of extra cash while they're playing. Yeah. And, no, you're, and you hit the nail on the head a while ago. The idea that uh, it's like a cash explosion on the Ohio lottery show where you're just yeah. going to jump in a, in a machine and you're just going to be grabbing money. You know what? That might happen the first year or so. There might be that kind of, you know, rain. But uh, then cooler heads will prevail. When you find out the, the star quarterback's not selling as many cards for you as you thought, you know, yeah. you know that, that'll be the reality part of it, right? Yeah, and, and again, it's, it, for the most part, you're talking football and basketball and, and football, even though even it, it's not to the same degree like in the NFL and for national type campaigns, you know, you got the helmet on. Uh, so there's the issue of you being the Ohio State athlete. And I think that some of that, I don't think that the players, uh, that the players uh, understand to the, what degree that is, that you are you know, Robert Smith, the Ohio State player, and that's what people are really interested in. And, you know, maybe they'll be a little bit offended when, you know, you're Robert Smith, the person, and it's like, oh, wait a second, aren't, shouldn't you have your football stuff on? Or, you know, I, I want to yeah. see some scarlet and gray, and, uh, yeah. you know, I, uh, you know, I want to see the Buckeye leaves and everything like that. And uh, there's there's going to be some separation between those issues because you've got – uh, the relationships with organizations like IMG Learfield and controlling sponsorship rights, 
and then you've got the players as individuals, which is the same thing at the NFL level because there's the NFLPA, which exclusively licenses the rights for the players, and then you've got the shield and yeah. the power of the shield, and those, those two are, are separate groups. Yeah, and before we move on, you can't really – you can't do this – and like, you know, like uh, Gene Smith was talking about, you have to have guardrails. And I, I called it like when, when you're at, the United States got its independence from uh, Great Britain, you know, from England. It wrote a constitution. It didn't just go, hey, everybody, yeah. you, know, you know, it's not like a pirate ship. Uh, and uh, you, so there will, you know, that will be the growing pains of this is setting the rules on what is and what isn't permissible, et cetera. And some people will balk at that and say free trade is being, you know, your rights are being squashed. But if you're part of an organization, you do agree to certain rules, right? Absolutely. And it's the same, again, it's the same thing that happens. Like one of, one of the rules, for example, that I still have a problem with, with the NFLPA uh, is, is that uh, players can't turn pro until after their third year. I think that should be open. Now, the reasons that they have the rule that's for the safety of the players and uh, to me, that rule doesn't make sense. Yeah. But something, but something like this, where people are suggesting that you do just open the floodgates and don't worry about what's going to happen. No, just let them go do what they want. I don't think that they appreciate, again, the the concern that the institutions in particular have for the student athletes. Because when there's a problem with that student athlete, uh, you know, when when they're no longer a student athlete, you know, they don't they don't go back and complain to you know, the slick runner, uh, you know, they go, they go to the media and they say, the school let me down and they didn't, they didn't take care of my best interest. And again, ultimately that's, that's what really needs to happen is that a, a student athlete's long-term success should be the goal of any of these efforts. Yeah. I mean, that's extremely well said and, you know, too much of society these days is what's in what's in what can I get right now? What, yeah. What's in for me now? I want it tomorrow. I want it yesterday, not tomorrow. They don't want to pay for it, et cetera. You know, it's really interesting though because I remember a, a conversation I had with you, an interview I did with you back your freshman year, and you and I were sitting. I know you remember this. Matter of fact, I think it was even in your book, or you, you touched on it. But uh, you and I were talking, and at the very near the very end of the interview, you said, now I can see why guys would leave for the NFL early because of all the work that was being, you were going through to play college football, the meetings, et cetera. And you got, you got upset at me because I made that the lead on my story the next day. And I explained to you, well, that's the way the media works. You take, yeah. you take the most coolest thing that the guy said and make that first, you know, the lead, so to speak. But, but, but even back then, you could see the expectations that were being put on the student athlete, right? I mean, from an from an extra standpoint, it'd be, hey, it would be really cool if he did a little extra work, he would get you know get you much farther along, right? I mean, you could see even then there was a disparity, right? Yeah, and you know, this is this is related to what I was tweeting about the other night as well. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, and and it's like you get tired of explaining yourself, and I, and I certainly, you know, don't feel that everybody needs to understand everything about me, and you just assume that, look, certain people aren't going to get certain things and leave it at that, but uh, it, it was one of the, it was, it was very early, like you said, in, in, in my time there, and said, look, three years might be enough for me, but you know what? Uh, I grew up with, uh, you know, a mother with a terrible home situation, 
and I see, you know, the rigors uh, and, and dangers, quite frankly, of, of what this game could be. You know, I, I, yeah. tore, I tore a muscle in my thigh, my rookie uh, 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 training camp there at Ohio State. Didn't miss any practice, um, you know, and, 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 had, and had some injuries later on, things like that. Like, it can end at any time. And, I, you know, yeah, I was like, I want to I be able to take care of her uh, and, and to ease some of her burden. Uh, and if I – like, why keep playing for free if I can go get paid for it? And so that made sense to me early. And, you know, geez, it, it, in only playing two years, you know, ended up being what? So maybe 20, 21 games that I ended up playing? I, yeah. It's got to be something like that. Yeah. I was going to say, if the transfer portal had been around then, you would have been gone from Ohio State, right? I mean, don't you think? But but then we – you and I both had that conversation on the phone where you – where, you know, basically, you know, you're, you knew this anyway, but you had to sit out a year if you went to USC or somewhere else. So well, you ran track. But when I, when I first started looking, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that you had to sit because I, it, it said that you had to have three consecutive uh, uh, grading periods. But, you know, the, the, the side note, the footnote was summer doesn't count. Right. So I, so I didn't realize that, but I started looking and, you know, again – this is just kind of how life works, uh, you know, going and, and meeting Denny Green at Stanford ended up being fortuitous. You know, uh, I, when I was out there and meeting uh, with him and Ty Willingham as running back coach, it didn't seem to me like Denny was going to be around there much longer yeah. anyway. And yeah. I would have had to sit out. Uh, so, uh, you know, going back and playing another year at Ohio State and then turning pro and then on draft day, uh, you know, Denny Green called me up, and the first thing he said was, "I let you get away once. I'm not going to let it happen again." So wow. it ended up wow. working out okay. Hey, real quick though, kudos. I mean, you know, uh, you and I—I've talked a long time. I've always been for players' rights. I mean, in, in whatever. And uh, I, the the guts it took for you to that day to you know to walk away from the high state football program for for what ended up being a year because of. In essence, and let's just sum it up in a word. I think it was mistreatment from the standpoint of what a what a person was saying about you and then asking of you. I won't name the coach anymore because he doesn't deserve any more. Uh, uh, but it wasn't John Cooper. Let me put it that way. At least at the beginning. <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying. I mean, I thought that took so so many guts. It was it was unbelievable. And uh, and yet you went back and you gave your heart and soul to the to the team again. Uh, then uh, two years later. I think you got a high ankle sprain that year, if I remember correctly. At Wisconsin. Yes. You and Keith Byers, man, should have never played Wisconsin. But, uh, but then you stuck it out, but then you, you left, and you, you know, and you moved on. And, and by then, it was, it was de rigueur for a lot of the stars to be leaving after their third season. Uh, if you had to go back and do anything different again, would you have done anything different in that time frame, Robert? Uh, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess looking back at it, you know, what, what happened was, and I don't mean it's Elliot Usulak, um, you know, he. Oh, you named him. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, he, he sat down in the locker room and said, we need you here at practice instead of at class. And, and it was unacceptable to me. And I got furious and I didn't go right to coach Cooper and say, Elliot Usulak told me to miss a class because if he did, if I did that, I think the outcome would have been much different. 
Um, but I was angry and thought, I didn't even want to be a part of a program that would do this. And yeah. then by that time, when I was away for a time, like, I don't even want to be a distraction coming back. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit this season out. So, you know, if I had the chance to do it again, like I would say, I would say that I would, but at the same time, like, no, because every, every struggle you go through and every, outcome uh that occurs if if it doesn't happen in that sequence then well i guess it depends on if you if you say that you're happy where you are then you can't really question how you got there yeah you know I mean? yeah exactly so that's so from that standpoint i think uh it worked out yeah more to be able to help change organizations from the inside if you identify a problem than from the outside. Yeah, we lost a little bit of the signal right in there as you were making your point, but uh, but you're exactly right. And uh, this is what's interesting to me is I knew you'd had a little bit of a tough background, but I didn't realize until those tweets the other night how tough a background you came from. And the idea of people wanting to lump a, B, and C into like little vessels, and this is this is this guy's life. This was, you know, this is your challenge, whatever. Uh, just hit on a nutshell. Uh, a father, like you pointed out in your tweets, <laughs> you know, that you were dealing with. Uh, your mother, the struggle she had. Your brother. Uh, just sum it, sum it up a little bit for folks so they can understand where you came from. Because everybody, I'll be honest with you, everybody thought you were a two-time Mr. Football of Ohio blessed with ridiculous speed and guile when it came to running a football and that your life was toast as in good toast. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, my, my, my father was a real life gangster. Um, and you know, I was, I was about eight years old and was counting drug money for him. We were told that he owned an arcade. You know, my mother was doing her best to cover, uh, for him. Uh, she was, she was a registered nurse and really, uh, sparked my interest in science and, and medicine from an early age. Um, but dealing with it was chaotic. Um, and, you know, him, him being in shootouts and being in and out of jail and, you know, witnessing the drug use and the abuse of my mother and the fear that you feel as a young child. Uh, and, you know, the way I characterize it is like this, this helpless anger, like I'm angry at this grown man that's violent that, uh, you know, it, it ended up killing a couple of people like, like, what do you do with that? Yeah. And for me, it was I, I, I got to try and make things better in every way that I can. But, you know, Tim, for me, it was so much easier than it is for some kids in that situation, because if you're a good athlete, and, and you're good at school, like everybody wants to help. So it, it, was, it was a coach, it was a teacher, it, you know, some other uh, friends, uh, families that kind of stepped up. But what bothers me so much, and you know, the, there's, there's this issue that there are some topics that, uh, that are untouchable <laughs> or that some perspectives that can't be offered. And that's, you know, that's why I think you know, glamorizing that gangster life. And that's what he did. Like, you know, he swore he was super fly. And like to, if people go back and they, you listen to that soundtrack of, of, of uh, Superfly, the very first song is telling the truth about this. 
you know, little child running wild, uh, you know, mama's tired, dad's gone. And, you know, it just bothers me because so many people try and sugarcoat these things. But if you want to know, like, what the real effects of, of addiction and, you know, a father in and out of the home, you know, the story, we know the stories are out there so much, but I've just seen, I've seen too many people be attacked or try and try and twist the story and, and say, well, no, it, you know, it wasn't that the father, what, no, it, it, it was. And glamorizing, uh, glamorizing that, you know, that type of lifestyle it, it ends up hurting entire families and causing li- or costing lives. Yeah. As you look back now, like you were talking about, we were talking about a while ago, things you go through that get you to where you are, to a happy place or a, a good place. Uh, are, uh, are, you, are you in some ways surprised you survived that time? Or are you, do you regret, you know what I mean? Do you think, man, if they'd have put a telescope in my hands when I was eight instead of when I was 20, Three, twenty, no, twenty-two, no, twenty-one, right? Yeah, twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, twenty-one. Uh, I would, I, I might not ever played football. I might have been a world-class. I might have been Hubble. You know what I mean? You might have no, been. They might have no, named I, it the Smith Telescope. Uh, again, like every every bit of the path had to be the way that it was, and like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the the father that I am to my children, especially. Yeah. I think. Well, I shouldn't say that I I wouldn't be. But I certainly think about fatherhood uh, and and that responsibility in a different way than a lot of people do. And I'm so fortunate that the path that I went on got me to where I am now, where I I get to spend so much time with them. You know what I mean? Like I get to spend more time than somebody that, you know, is working in a lab or working in a hospital. Like, and to me, I, I don't, I don't know. And I hear a lot of people say this, like, when you know they 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 own successful businesses, and you know later in life, like what's the one regret that you have? And almost to a person, it's that I didn't get a chance to spend more time with my family. And being divorced, it's I didn't get to spend more time with my kids. Yeah, yeah, you know, good for you. I mean, you know, you know where you know where I come down with you. I've always come down with you. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to blow smoke here, but. What gets me about you and uh, several other players, ex-players I could name was uh, what I liked about you, admired about you, like Anthony Gonzalez. You know, I don't even know where, you know, where even if you guys are on the same spectrum one way or the other, but, but you have always had your eyes wide open. I mean, you were always observing the scene. You weren't just playing football at Ohio State, and that was that. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, uh, do, you, do you feel blessed that somehow or another along the way, that you were blessed with intelligence and the, the the ability to see and listen and take in the world as opposed to just survive. Yeah. I mean, Tim, like <laughs> my, I, I, I honestly feel that my greatest race and my greatest contribution, the opportunity for my greatest contribution to society that it hasn't happened yet. And it's in the process of happening right now. And it's only because of this path. Yeah. Uh, 2013 was a big day, was a big year for me when you decided to become sober and you stuck with that, I guess. I've got a really good friend of mine who's, I think, been sober now for 11 years. I can't remember the number. It was 2012. 2012, yeah. And uh, and I'm telling you, he he was a different individual almost from when he first started. Because 
number one, I know you're you're an agnostic, right? Still, um, am I right about that? Yeah. But but it is sort of like you know the equivalent of sort of a born again kind of uh, sensation, I think, for people when they realize, hey, you can survive without it. Yeah. You know, without substance or alcohol, you can get along in life. And he's been that way. Of course, he gained a lot of weight. I don't think you did. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, uh, but what has it just done for people out there who want yet another reason to maybe uh, understand what you're about and also maybe admire what you've been through, et cetera? What is it like to think about where you were before 2012 and how much clearer maybe things are for you? You know, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstepping that. No, you're not, you're not at all. And, you know, I got sober five days before my son was born and it's not a coincidence. And to me, like they talk about insanity and, and, and the way that you sometimes hear insanity defined is you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. And as, as I was drinking and I had, and I had started to try and stop, uh, you know, all the way back in, in 2006 and got a few years and uh, relapsed and um, you know, before my son was born, thought I'd try it again. Um, but it meant a lot to me and it means a lot to me to have said at that time, like, if I want, if I don't want to recreate the mistakes that, that caused me so much pain and my brother and my mother so much pain, uh, as a child, like what kind of, what kind of person am I going to be if, if I try and uh, if I try and have it my way, because it was it was clear, like the the family history with my mother, my brother, you know, the family, uh, you know, addiction and the depression, which I still have to deal with, um, that if I continued to drink, that I couldn't be the father that I wanted to be. So to me, I guess it, it was a little simpler, or uh, you know, that path was a little clearer. And I know not everybody's going to have that, but I would just encourage anybody that's thinking about that decision. Just try and find that, try and find that thing that you need to focus on, um, to kind of be what carries you through. Because you know they define rock bottom uh, as you know when you're about to lose or you've lost the things that matter to you most. And losing the opportunity to be a parent to my children, just unacceptable. Yeah, I just got I just got goosebumps as you spoke there. I, mean, I can't imagine. I mean. Uh... You know, like I've been, like I told you, been babysitting my grandson Owen, who, by the way, I give you kudos on remembering his name. And, uh, you know, you're just cut above in a lot of respects, Robert. And, that, and one of those is your memory. <laughs> but hey, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But hey, top couple of loose ends before I ask you one last thing about college football. Uh, your father's still with us, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Your mom and brother both passed away, correct? Yeah. Is that how do you how do you how do you how do you ballpark that i mean where how does that sit with you you know i mean when i so when i was a kid my dad was a, well he still is a big fan of uh you know cowboy movies and you know that's why I, like when people talk about that life they don't understand that life they don't understand what it's really about i mean he you know he's he's so thankful that that stuff is behind him and he's he's so lucky i yeah. mean when I, when I tell you the man's got a bullet hole in his chest and an exit wound on his back, like it doesn't make any sense that he was still there. But, you know, when I, when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, you talk about lessons from your parents and 
you know, for, for better or for worse, my, my dad always said bullets don't have names on them. And he said, winner takes all. So I know that there are a lot of different ways you can go in interpreting what those things mean. But the first one is, look, there are, there are a lot of chance occurrences that happen. And the odds were really long at that time that he was going to outlive my mother and my brother. But you know what? That's where we are. Now the winner take all like that's a, it's, 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 you know, can seem like a, like a cruel motto, but if you're not in the game, then you can't win it. (laughs) So, um, you know, how do I look at it? I look at it as, uh, you know, life happens and you either deal with it and move on or, or, or you're going to struggle. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the long and the short of it for me, you know, and, and, you know, now my kid's almost eight and 10 and he's never met them. Um, he's back in Mississippi, but, you know, kind of we've gone through back and forth. He's continued to have uh, some issues and, um, yeah. you know, he's talked about coming down, uh, coming out here to Dallas to meet the kids. And, you know, I struggle with that. Like, I don't know what age that is. And then, you know, maybe I guess I have to, I have to, sorry, the dog's going. The dog, no, the dog agreed with you. Go ahead. Yeah. But uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's, I'll, I'll have to reach out to some experts on this, but I think it's important for them to know, you know, the truth about their father. And I guess I've, I, or about their grandfather and to have already written about it, I guess they can see it there. But I think that there are a lot of things about him and about, you know, that life, and the way that it gets glorified uh, yeah. and, and the way that it um, uh, gets distorted, the issues related to it get distorted. You know, I think it's, it's important to hear some of those things that I haven't articulated, uh, in, at least in some form, that they're ready to consume yet. Yeah, it is interesting. Your father's not your hero, but he's still your father. You know, oh. I mean, and it's, it is what it is. Hey, yeah. last thing. Uh, are they going to play college football this year? What's your What's your take on this? Yeah, I think they will. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they're if they allow fans there. But I think that they will. You know, from what we're hearing about campuses reopening, and I saw that list. That list list is getting longer and longer. Yeah, um, I, I I think that they'll figure it out. We'll see though. Robert, you know, uh, but I, I keep using the word congregational. There's no more congregational a sport than college football, from the hundred thousand people in the stands to the 22 guys running into each other on every play. That's just the game. But during the week, you know, you guys meet, you guys meet in these big rooms together, you know, and then you meet in these smaller rooms together, you know, more than 10, by the way, at a time. Uh, <laughs> seriously, it would be, it would be almost, if you think the last sport that would get the green light based on the social distancing aspect of things. But what, what do you, what do you think has to happen real quickly before you get to that point. There, there has to be a massive increase in testing. And that's, yeah. that's, I believe that's going to happen. It seems like there are a lot of tests available. They're yeah. just going to have to make sure that everybody uh, gets access to them. And I think that they're starting to understand a little bit more about the trajectory of the disease and kind of, uh, you know, how, uh, how it originally appears. Some of the people that appear to be getting it later on, I think the serology tests that are identifying uh, uh, people that uh, have developed antibodies uh, for it. I think we're, we're going to learn a lot more here. But, you know, the, the good signs, I think, you know, when you look over to Europe, uh, which, of course, was the epicenter uh, back in March, yeah. uh, at least if you believe the numbers out of China. But um, right. if, you look at, if you look at what Europe is doing and the gradual reopening 
um, of, of Europe. I think that, you know, it, it portends good. Yeah. Hey, uh, I don't, I've, I've just lost your signal there, but at the very end of that, and you're, but uh, the portends good things. Last, last thing, can you play a football game? Would it be okay with you as a fan? And you're, you're a commentator, you're an analyst, but would it be okay for you as a fan to have Ohio Stadium where you can limit it to 15,000 people? Would that still be the college atmosphere? Well, it wouldn't be the same college atmosphere, but beats nothing, right? <laughs> it says my internet connection is unstable. Sorry. Yeah. Um, That's okay. You're good. What's the alternative? If the alternative yeah. is no games or an empty stadium, I think you know people would take each each uh, higher tier. Yes, we'll we'll take it with no fans, and they would certainly take it with a reduced number. But it's not it's not going to be the same experience, but it's better than no experience. And the bait in the water on that was the NFL draft, which in Columbus, I mean, across the nation, drew the greatest number people. People yeah. love football, man. They love talking about football, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we can we can talk about what sports really are. You know, are they a distraction? Absolutely. But you know, there's a there's this sense of shared community uh, with with sports teams and with universities that I think is is unparalleled uh, in, in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe maybe the your 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 national pride. Uh, you know, maybe unfortunately it's uh, it's it's political party uh, pride, but uh, you know the the pride in, in in the school and 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 believing in that that uh, that common community is is very powerful when uh, when it's at its best. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Smith, uh, never a disappointment, at least in the times I've ever interacted with you. Robert, thanks for coming on my podcast, my man. All right, you got it, Tim. All right, we'll be back in a moment with Austin Ward, and we'll sum this up, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That was interesting. I have always enjoyed talking to Robert Smith, and, and uh, now I bring on another guy I've always enjoyed talking to, and I do it at least once a week for your benefit, your enjoyment, ladies and gentlemen. Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. Hello, Boston. We've been doing this more than once a week for about, what, eight, nine years now. So Yeah. Now we just actually do it, and other people are listening. Yeah, people, it's recorded and it goes out there. It's kind of like uh, the last dance, you know. We got behind the scenes cameras going here that uh, <laughs> let people understand what we're talking about. And, you know, uh, Boston, what was just your, you know, you grew up in another world, so to speak. You weren't around when, when uh, Robert Smith played at Ohio State, obviously, and stuff. But what's, what was just your, your uh, take on him from uh, looking at him from afar uh, way back when? He's a, he's a really fascinating uh, player, person commentator, um, thinker. I, I, I've, I've only got to deal with him just on a couple occasions since I, you know, moved to Columbus, but, you know, you always like, you wondered what it was, what drove this guy, what made him tick because you ran down earlier in the show, just all the accomplishments. And then you, you dove into, you know, his career and his life off the field and all that with him in that interview, which was great. But, uh, you look at this, he just, you never could really wrap your mind around, you know, what, what drove this guy and like why he was so good and why he didn't want to keep playing or, or what happened during his Ohio state career. And, you know, what was the real, you know, you know, methodology behind the way he approached life. And it's just, I still don't, I mean, you, you, you've said this before, when you talk to him, he will always give you an answer and he tries to shine as much of a light on, on that and what he's thinking as possible, but it's still like he works on just a different wavelength and yeah. it's hard. It's, you know, I don't know. I'm always fascinated to try and learn more about him because he, 
he's just such a unique person and character and every uh, walk of life, the things that, that interest him, you know, the, the curtain that he'll pull back on the difficulties that he's dealt with in his life. Yeah. He's a pretty remarkable person. Yeah, he is. And, uh, and as I used to say about Urban Meyer, you know, you, when we, you know, we'd sit there in those press conferences right next to each other. And my favorite line about Urban Meyer is don't ask him a question. You don't want to hear his answer to, you know, yeah. because he's going to give you his answer. And, uh, um, so, and Robert has always been exactly that same guy. And, uh, you know, he had this, uh, he had this moment where, um, his, uh, when he came back and played in 1992, he had a quote after a game one time where he said, uh, you know, I don't give a, you know, what about Woody Hayes? Tippy didn't say, you know what? <laughs> and, uh, it was just, you know, people were continually just talking about the John Cooper era and comparing it to the great days of yesteryear and all this kind of stuff. Really little did they know 1992 was when the John Cooper era really took off, started taking off. But I remember he called me the next day and he said, boy, Tim, you know, I got to, I, I got to explain myself, you know, and uh, he, I sat there and talked to him for 20 minutes on the phone and wrote a story for the next day, him explaining what he meant. Yeah. And all that stuff. Of course, you know, no one's it. Most, most of the time, no one's interested in explanation or clarification. They just know what hit them upside the head, you know, the, the morning <laughs> after the game. And uh, so that's the kind of guy he was. So he was, he was aware, he's aware of, of who he is, <clears throat> but he's never been shy, afraid to tell you what's on his mind. And, and I, I applaud him for that. You know, we, you and I in our business, we, we live for those kind of people. Uh, with, without a doubt. And yeah. it's so unfortunately so rare that you have those guys who have the, and it's, a, it's getting more rare because I think of social media, you would think that that offers you a more unfiltered look at the personalities of these players. But I think the, the opposite has actually happened that they become more cognizant of their brand their image um, they are in some cases yeah there's some cases they're really afraid of what the social media backlash would be if they spoke uh their true feelings and, and spoke their mind at all time you know you think about you know when you were just describing robert smith and the running backs and and quotes and the explanation i i kept thinking about you know 2015 and after the michigan state game when zeke's like well that was my last game here well obviously it was his last game here but people yeah. thought that was you know a bashing of the coaching staff and there was a little bit of that that he wanted more carries but you know, people focused in on that particular quote and it's like, and then that was like yeah. the last time you were going to hear anything from Zeke because he got, he got absolutely destroyed and run over because of that. You know, very few uh, guys just don't care or will give it back on that. And I, so that's why when we get, if you go, I'm just thinking the last couple of years, someone like Damon Arnett who had it worse in his social media feed than anybody and would continue to speak out and speak his mind or give it back. Billy Price has done that. Yeah. Gave you an unfiltered look on off the field, whatever you wanted to talk about. Like that's, that's why those guys become some of your favorite to cover because you, that is actually who they are. Sometimes when we turn off, you know, the recorder after practice and get to know these guys who won't say stuff in the microphone are actually a lot more, you know, personal, personable and engaging than, than you might think, you know, it, it's hard to do it on and off the record. It really is. I, yeah. I those yeah. guys are incredible. Yeah. You know, speaking of uh, Billy Price, I brought up to him uh, the other day on Twitter. We got a little, little give and take there for a while. I said, you know, what, 
you know, why can't football, why can't they play football with a mask side, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, everybody wears a mask. And, and I said, you could have, have the team logos on there. And, you know, he talked about how much he sweats and stuff, and that probably wouldn't work out that well. Yeah. And I started thinking, well, how come dry fit or somebody didn't come up with a dry fit mask for these guys? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, uh, this kind of uh, situation is a mother of invention, the way I look at it. So yeah. I, I think that could be a possibility down the road, you know. Speaking of that, you know, uh, the Big Ten, as you know, uh, uh, earlier this week, uh, they didn't kick the can down the street. That's not the way of talking about this. They basically moved the possibility of reassessing whether they should open uh, Big Ten campuses up, uh, athletic departments up for, for uh, activities and stuff until at least June the 1, and they'll reevaluate it. I wasn't surprised by that at all. I don't think you were at all, right? No, I, I was kind of – in my mind, I thought that they already must have done that because school was done for the year. You'd already canceled all events. Uh, I guess this is just clarification of not being, you know, football can't, you know, speed up the process to try and get back to have workouts or open up their facility. And, uh, you know, keeping you know, the spring sports were already canceled. There was not going to be baseball being played regardless. So, right. Uh, so in that, I think it was more probably – you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's there just to, to lay it out, say you're not gonna you're not gonna start your off season football program in May. It's not gonna happen. Stop thinking about it. And as we work on the return to play, factor this in. It may be June first. That's not gonna be a guarantee, but in the way that this has been going and any time that it's come up between you or me or you know anybody else that wants to know what this summer is going to look like or what the season is going to look like. So, you know, they don't have to decide anything because June 1 is the day that we're really going to know. And that's really when, you know, NCAA officials, um, athletic departments, athletic directors, coaches, I think when you get to June 1, that's when you have to start making serious decisions about this. And everybody wants to know right now what it's going to look like. And maybe there's enough progress in the next couple of weeks that, that yeah. June 1 is not the date. But I think that's, that's the time that everyone is sort of looking at saying, okay, what is the next move once you get to June 1? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Gene Smith and his staff and people at Ohio State, they're meeting at least once or twice a week talking about contingency plans. And uh, it's interesting because I was talking to a couple of people who have kind of been privy to that. And uh, for, for one thing, for example, there is talk, I guess, in the Big Ten about a possible, if they have to do it, just an all-Big Ten schedule this year, you know, which would be easy. It'd be easy – It'd be easy to come up with the schedule. Uh, logistically, getting airplanes and or, you know, it'd be easier to get buses probably than airplanes and stuff for the trips. Although you probably want the trips to go as quick as possible, so you probably want an airplane. Uh, but there will be plenty, it looks like there'll be plenty of charter airplanes out there available. Yes. <laughs> uh, but then they've also talked about, you know, what will things look like if and when Ohio State, uh, they're allowed to uh, return, like you said, to uh, the group setting, meaning uh, the practice field and also the meeting rooms, et cetera. And uh, I think there's some talk, the way I understand it, about Ohio State possibly going to maybe a commandeering, well, that's not the right term, uh, leasing a hotel somewhere near campus, like the one where Ohio State stays during preseason camp, yeah. uh, you know, where uh, the way I understand it, there's a possibility each player would have his own room. And by that, I mean, they might do that you know, just for preseason, they might do it for the duration of, of the fall because if each player had his own room, for example, 
And if player X suddenly uh, tested positive or had some signs of uh, the COVID-19, uh, they could isolate him in his own room without having to isolate his buddy too. You know, I mean, things like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think Ohio State is equipped uh, pretty well from a medical standpoint. I'm talking about just Ohio State. The medical center there is equipped to do, you know, a thousand or more tests a day if, in fact, they have to do that uh, for this thing. So that would be a way of looking at it. But then, but then the real – and this could really affect the way we do our jobs, but the real cutter – I almost used the other term there that precedes cutter. The real cutter is going to be de deciding – who, who definitely are essential personnel, meaning uh, how many trainers does it take? How many uh, – we know it takes at least 10 assistant coaches and a head coach. How many GAs are involved? Uh, who, who should be going in and out of that building or be in that building at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center all the time? How many trainers does it take to, say, tape the ankles, you know, before a game, I mean, before a practice? Uh, how many uh, – uh, video personnel are involved, and that that could be the real interesting thing because you would still, <clears throat> at least at the beginning, want to limit the groups, you know, as much as possible, especially from the possibility of them someone coming in who's been outside, you know, on High Street or whatever, just going home to see his wife or or whomever, or you know, hanging out at the pool, et cetera. You uh, definitely want to limit that number. I understand it, and there, I think there's some conversation the way I understand it between like Gene Smith and his other athletic directors and maybe medical personnel uh, involved in the Big Ten about how they would go about the limitations and stuff and uh, how they could guarantee that visiting locker rooms were sanitized, you know, before a team arrived. And, you know, it's a big undertaking. You know, I, re I really think this is going to come down to, too, is how much is football worth? I mean, we know what football generates. Yep. How much is football worth from the standpoint of, how much money do you spend to have football again? You know, I would think you could get a pretty good deal on a hotel right now. <laughs> Nobody's staying at hotels, but, it, yeah. but it's just interesting that, uh, you know, and, and this stuff changes week to week, day to day, you know, and, uh, the new stuff that comes out, but you know, is it Dr. Is it Amy Acton? Is that her name? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, her and, and, and governor DeWine, they're going to pretty much determine, I think more than anyone else, believe it or not, when Ohio State can return, Ohio State football can return to any kind of semblance of, of regularity or action. And, uh, and of course, Ohio, the Ohio State University, uh, when it can open its doors. So, you know, until they kind of give the green light, you know, Ohio State is the state university, and they kind of have to adhere, not kind of, they have to adhere to what's going on from a state standpoint. But that's pretty interesting that they're looking at it because you got to be doing it. you got to have some kind of plan that you can just – a, B, C, D, or E, or yeah. F, G, H, I, J, K, <laughs> go to once the green light goes on, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, those kinds of plans, and, and as you said early on with the masks, I mean, uh, necessity is the mother of invention here, so you have to put everything on the table. I think quarantining an entire football team of college students is so different than the NFL or the NBA, and I I don't think that that idea would gain traction um, for not everybody has the a budget of Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. You know, is Purdue going to be able to do that and shut down their whole team? Pretty unlikely. And I think that you have to have the same, you know, rules just across your conference. It's, it's going to be extremely difficult to get that for all 130 teams across the country. That's also why I think you've heard um, 
you know, right. Big Ten commissioners and the and the SEC commissioners <laughs> saying, well, maybe not every conference is going to be on the same schedule as we are, and that's definitely true. We don't know what that's going to look like in September. Right. But if you're talking about Big Ten only, SEC only, you know, we'll see what happens there. But some of the, what it's worth, well, that's a different question for the teams in the Big Ten and the SEC than it might be in the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, let alone when we're talking about MAC or the Mountain West Conference or whatever. Correct. Um, the amount of revenue is just different for those schools. So that's why you put that on the table. The, the hardest part about me is not just for the hotel idea, which I know is just one idea, and I don't mean to latch on to it because there are dozens of others that you're, you know, we've, we've both been hearing about. But um, even before getting to the fact of whether media is essential or not, uh, these, somebody has to make their food. Uh, somebody has to clean the beds, even if you have your own room at the hotel. So do those people have to quarantine? Do those people suddenly live at the hotel so that you, you're cutting down the people moving around? I, those are yeah. the, that's, that's been the biggest hurdle for the NBA when they're trying to lead the way with this, you know, bubble season. Well, who lives in the bubble? You're going to let their families in? Yeah. Uh, football, right. College, like an 18-year-old true freshman college student, like Paris Johnson, has to have no contact with the outside world other than just to play football this year. I, I, I just – I can't get there. Hey. I, want, I want college football. I just can't get there for that idea. Yeah, it would be it would be simpler if football players and basketball players and hockey players were test tubes instead of actually people, you know, because <laughs> yeah. then you can do whatever you want. But I mean, you talk about the grand experiment. I think it's it's uh, this is going to be interesting. I, I really, you know, there'll there'll be a vaccine. I do believe by early next year. I mean, I, I think you believe that too. And we won't be having this discussion. I don't think a year from now, unless there's a new COVID unless there's a COVID-20 or a COVID-22 or something, but uh, which could happen, clearly. Uh, but uh, it is interesting how um, everybody understands that, you know, sports, sports, like, like Robert Smith was talking about, sports isn't necessary for life and death, but sports is a vital component anymore of people's weekly, daily lives. And to think it's not important just like the uh, going to movies or going to, you know, see a concert is not important. No, you can do without a, you can do without going to a concert, but you would prefer it's, it is part of your, your regular routine. Now your your a lot of people's daily lives there, you know, they and uh, to think this from a well-being standpoint, from a mental well-being standpoint of being able to cheer again and, and blah, blah, blah. So it is important. It's as important almost as anything else when you get, really get right down to it, except for the people who uh, manufacture and, and uh, provide you with your foodstuffs and the people that pick up your trash. And of course, the people who are involved in the day-to-day -day, uh, treatment of people with COVID-19. I mean, it's just crazy how many healthcare workers have gotten infected and have actually uh, died because of basically being on the front line of this, it's crazy. And that's why when that lady was yelling at that reporter the other day on that Twitter video, you know, about wanting to reopen now and you're the reason for this and all that kind of man, it's a good thing that wasn't Tim May she was yelling at because you know how I, I kind of, I don't let anybody do that. I mean, I've already had a spat with a guy on YouTube that last week who basically said I was Mr. Negative when I covered Ohio State for the dispatch, I said, wait a minute, I think you've got me mistaken with somebody else. And he wouldn't back down. And, man, and he talked about how he wanted to get me fired 
during that time. I'm going, and, and he, I think he expected me to back down after, and I'm just going, you just said, number one, you called me, you said something about me that wasn't true, and then you said you tried to get me fired, and I'm just going to sneak away back into the corner. I don't think so. I don't think you know, so. But anyway, hey, but real quick, I, I promised an update on B.B. Landers last, in last week's thing. B.B. Landers, the, you know, incredibly personable um, young man who played defensive tackle at Ohio State the last five years, wasn't drafted, didn't sign a free agent contract that we knew of right after the draft. I'll be honest with you, I've tried to get a hold of him two or three times a day for the last week. I haven't reached him. I hope B.B.'s okay, but the, the update is, you know, as a Joey Bosa, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what's up with BB. Uh, uh, I think he's, you know, I, I told him a long time ago. I thought he had a, he would have a, a future in what we're doing or in the media, if in fact he wanted to pursue that down the road. And this was a couple of years ago, just because he's he's just a great personality. But you know, you do kind of feel for a guy when the dream doesn't work out. Yeah, and and it doesn't. For everybody, you look at uh, Ohio State's uh, draft success, the the guys that they've sent on, even undrafted guys who've made NFL teams and and built careers. I think there's this this idea that everyone who comes out of Ohio State is going to be an NFL football player, and that's still not the that's just not the case. No. It's very hard to do it um, if, for the college football population as a whole. But even if you're coming from Ohio State, you have an advantage because you're already one of the best players. But still then you're getting cut down even further down to 53 man rosters for 32 teams. It's a completely different world. And it's so hard to do that. And it doesn't mean that uh, Robert Landers couldn't keep grinding and catch on a team. We've seen that happen. Tracy Sprinkle is a guy that, that comes into my mind is similar position, uh, similar careers for Ohio state. Um, you know, BB had injuries. I think NFL teams would have liked to have checked him out. He didn't get to go to the combine and didn't have right. a they don't have the rookie camp. I said that last week. That also cuts down the number of opportunities that are out there for this summer in particular. Based on what we know about Robert Landers over his, you know, four or five years in Columbus, he's not going to stop working. Uh, he's going to keep trying to get that, that, that one opportunity until the doors are all definitively closed on him. And he's going to have options after that. He's a very bright kid. Yes. Uh, we had him on to do some stuff at Letterman Row. We'd love – like. If it doesn't work out, he's, a, he's got, always going to have a chance to do that with uh, that stuff with us if he wants to. Um, but, you know, you're going to have the CFL. Eventually some of these other opportunities are going to open. Teams are going to need to sign more free agents. Uh, you know, just this initial rush, I think there's hesitancy. Shea Patterson didn't sign until either yesterday or Saturday with the Chiefs, and he was sitting out there for a full, you know, full week before he got an opportunity. And that was a guy that uh, was a two-year starter quarterback in the Big Ten. Yeah, won a, bunch of, won a bunch of games. So, um, as you said, we don't know what the situation is right now, um, what teams are looking for, when the next opportunity to really jump on that and, and get into a camp and try and make a team is going to be. But it hasn't happened right now that we know of. Yeah, and, you know, and that, you know, I, I, there are guys I like, you know, come along. I really like B.B. Leonard's is one of them. And I hope, hope things work out for him one way or the other. And, uh, you know, heck, by the time – people see this, see and hear this podcast, maybe he has signed with a team, maybe signed with a Canadian team like you're talking about. I mean, yeah. you know, who knows? I mean, uh, it's just interesting. Uh, the the whims and wayfar, wayfar, wayfarers of, that's not even the right term, but you know what I'm saying? The whims and whimsies of the draft and the, the NFL and how they go about picking the players they want to, they want to take a bigger look at. I mean, I'm, I'm always 
uh, I'm always uh, perplexed by some of the decisions that are made. Real quick, though, that kind of segues into, uh, I think it was Fox. Uh, Fox put up a little uh, a tidbit this week that uh, Ohio State, either an Ohio State or an SEC defensive player has been the first defensive player picked in the last 10 drafts. And what they really meant to say was of the last five drafts, an Ohio State player has been the first defensive player taken in four of them. And uh, you think that's going to – you think, number one, how stunning is that? Because you think Ohio State right now, you think just prodigious offense, okay? But then number two, uh, my next question to you is, who do you see that has a chance of perpetuating that, making it uh, five out of six years in the 2021 draft? Well, that was certainly some interesting wording in that graphic, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, somehow the SEC gets credit uh, – the whole league gets credit for that, um, but whatever. That's uh, that's not my place to to edit that. I'll stick to LettermanRow.com. Um, it's pretty, it's crazy, especially from this regard. And I know that this is. I, I just talked about this on Letterman Live yesterday. Berm and I talked about it last week for a show. Like this notion that Urban Meyer underachieved, and yeah, I don't believe that for his career as a whole. If you take any part of it that was – That's clickbait, you know. That's clickbait. I know. And, and, and I, I took it and I, I bit in and I fell like for a, it. Like a seven-pound largemouth bass. You yeah, ran with it. Okay. Hook, line, and sinker, I, I, I went for it. But I, I just I, – if there's any part of his tenure that you look back on and you think this could have gone differently, well, then certainly what happened with the defense in, in 2017 and 2018, because as, as is borne out over time, Talent was not the problem. You and I both said that at the time. There's enough talent on the on the field. The Damon Arnett would be a perfect example of that. A Jerome Baker. Those guys were not playing at the level that we knew that they could, and that's why Billy Davis and Tabor Johnson didn't stick around when Ryan Day took control. And uh, Greg Schiano. Yeah, and Greg Schiano is no longer. You know, he's doing his own thing. So, because they had everything that you could work with, but the, whatever the reason, and we don't need to rehash that. They weren't, they weren't getting the results on the field that you thought should be there because the NFL could still see it. When yeah. Jerome Baker tested, and he's not one of these guys that we're talking about as first one off the board, but, uh, you know, a Denzel Ward, a Bosa, you know, Chase Young being part of that, um, it, it didn't make sense because you knew that Ohio State had recruited the very best players in the country. And as you said, it's a little bit eye-opening because now they have this re reputation as urban as being the offensive genius for years. And now Ryan day taking that to another level with the quarterback play and scoring points. But you know, when Ohio state is at its best, it's because they've got this suffocating talent laden talent laden loaded defense. And they know Larry Johnson, he's going to keep that going. If I had to pick one guy though, as you said, for next year, uh, Sean Wade's probably got the best chance of, of continuing that cornerback legacy I don't know if he's we'll see what happens I know he's I, I believe he's a first round pick I shouldn't say I know it I am I wonder if he can leap as high as Denzel Ward or Jeff Okuda yeah uh, you know, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see but if you're taking one guy from that defense for the ne best chance next year Sean Wade would be my pick and then the following year uh, I can you know once you get what would that be set seven years the fifth one for sure that will be the first one off the board is Zach Harrison. I, I He's going to add the, to that legacy. Yeah. You just see it. it the can't miss uh, label. It's true with him. There's just I, – I, I can't fathom how 
with his physical tools and working with Larry Johnson, Mickey Marotti, this everybody, everything else, and being at Ohio State, how that guy doesn't become a top two, top three pick. You know who at times last year when he really was, was healthy and turned it up and turned it up and was tuned in was Tyreek Smith. I mean, there were yeah. times when he was, would not be denied getting to the quarterback. I mean, there, there are some guys on his team that are going to be rising. We saw Josh Proctor get thrown into the fire in some really tough situations last year. Uh, we both know what kind of, like, game he's got. Yeah. And if he puts it all together, you know, he could be sort of a Malik Hooker kind of, like, sensation this coming year yeah. uh, right. because he's definitely – you know, he definitely had some tough spots last year, uh, but he also had some big-time plays. So, you know, the opportunity is going to be there for him to, like, really step forward if he can stay healthy, et cetera. But, you, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, uh, I think Zach Harrison, uh, like I said, turn on the video, watch him almost chase down Trevor Lawrence, and he's a six foot six, two hundred and how much does he weigh now? Two sixty five. But uh, uh, defensive end who can flat run, man. I mean, he's he's got all the makings. He's you know he's different. Like Chase Young was different. Like Nick was different from his brother Joey Bosa. Uh, they're all four different kind of players, but they're all uh, very effective. And I agree with you. I think two years from now, we're definitely – Zach Harrison will be part of that list. Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at these other – they're not going to be the first defensive players taken off this team, but when you talk about Tyreek Smith, and I wrote about Jonathan Cooper last week, um, all the things that we heard before August, before the high ankle sprain, you know, yeah. a, a week before the season, 10 days or so before the season – was this guy was ready. And I don't, I don't mean that from the sense that he was going to be better than Chase Young, um, but putting him out there to go one-on-one was going to be a huge problem. Uh, and Ohio State's pass rush wound up being just fine. But if you're talking about Jonathan Cooper being in that mix, and now he's got a, you know, no more nagging high ankle sprain and everything's ready to go. I mean, this guy could really shoot up draft boards. I believe that. Um, Baron Browning, tough Borland and Pete Warner are all going to get drafted. Um, you talked about Proctor, and we know the potential that, that he brings to that safety position. Um, if, you're, if you're also going to throw in potential one-year wonders, then you have to include Cam Brown and Seven Banks too because yeah. they might have a Marshawn Lattimore type year. Um, Seven Banks especially, what we saw from that one practice that we're going to be talking about still until August. Yeah, that, He walked out there looking like a lumberjack. Like he, was, he had completely changed his body. And that's, you know, you got two full years in Ohio State's program uh, and you get ready for year three. That's when yeah. you start to be a real grown man. And Seven Banks was about uh, – is about to do that, I think. So. And we know, yeah. And, and, and we know Kerry Combs likes him a lot, you know. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, uh, I, I, maybe they'll set up a closed-circuit camera so the media, we can watch parts of practice, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then they won't have to – Instead of ushering us out like they usually do, they just shut it off. Yep. You know, what do you think? You think what, what do you think, Scott? Real quick, g- give, me one, give me 30 seconds on this. How do you think our job is going to be changed uh, this coming fall? What, what's, what's your contingency plan? Man, I, I, I'm embarrassed to, you know, admit like maybe how much I've thought about that in the last two weeks because you think about all the ways that this might happen and, and limiting contact. Well, we're going to be an easy place to cut, and, and maybe – Maybe should be um, if you want them to be safe and and you don't want them to have to track where 50, 60, 70 media members are every day of the week. Um, does I hope that that means that uh, Ohio State and Jerry Emig 
uh, are, are ready to make concessions and start doing, you know, Zoom press conferences. Penn State, I, I'll give them credit. They're normally very closed off with their media. They've been doing that uh, yeah. with coaching staff and players. Michigan's done a little bit of that and let their uh, beat members talk with players about what they've been doing. Um, it, this sounds like – I don't mean it that we're so – we're critically important to football existing, but part of the reason that it's so popular is that you can follow it, that you can debate it, uh, that we publicize the fact that it's happening and why. Um, that's an important part of it, and you just hope that that realization is still there uh, and that th- that's part of their thinking. We've got to find a way to, to make that – make that happen i'm sure that they will but i I don't know like we were we were looking last week because flights obviously are really cheap right now should we should we book to oregon when it's like you know a hundred bucks on southwest to get to portland and go down to eugene well i don't know how many media members are going to be allowed to travel how many are going to be allowed in the stadium will they be allowed in the stadium we don't know how any of that's going to work and that's yeah i'm counting down like that makes me uh you know, nervous. Um, maybe that may, as you say, we, we find other ways to get creative with it, but that's why when June 1st comes and we start to get a feel for that. And the first thing that's going to get cut is big 10 media days. There's no way that that's going to happen. No, 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 you're exactly right. I mean, uh, by the way, I booked my flight to Oregon to Portland about a month ago. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking right now, number one, probably canceling, but going back and trying to get the cheaper fare. But, uh, but that's definitely a game I wasn't going to miss, you know, and, uh, but, but you're right. I mean, everything's so up in the air. Like I wrote about, you know, many, you know, several weeks ago about, you know, you could just, how important is the season as scheduled? Can you take that season and just move it a month later? You know, I don't think so. I mean, you're like, you just talked about airfares, hotel rooms, you know, everything, you know, gets thrown up in the air when you change any kind of date for anything. So uh, I'm looking at the Indy 500 right now, you know, it's going to be in August, uh, at least tentatively scheduled for August. And, you know, that's, that's routinely the biggest weekend of the year in Indianapolis from a hotel standpoint and et cetera. So, you know, there's just really tough when you move major events and believe me uh, from what I could tell about hotel room availability and prices in Eugene, Oregon for that uh, second weekend, in in September, that was going to be about as big a bonanza as they've ever run into. <laughs> Ohio State coming to town, you know. So uh, with a real, real showdown game that was going to have huge major ramifications for the uh, college football playoffs, I do believe. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's really interesting how that how that goes. But you know, I gave you thirty seconds a while ago, and you took I think three minutes to explain your thirty seconds worth. But sometimes it's I worth feel it. like I feel like when you give me thirty seconds now, you know that I won't be able to stick to that. Oh, I know. I just like to – what I do is I give you 30 seconds, and then after you take two minutes, three minutes, then I browbeat you about it. That's part of the show, Boston. <laughs> you know him as Austin Ward. Ladies and gentlemen, but that's another Tim May podcast. I appreciate uh, Boston. You know him as Austin Ward, uh, my regular uh, cohort on this cast and does a great job at Letterman Row scooping, the, scooping everybody else on the big stories. And, of course, I definitely appreciate and thank Robert Smith – for coming on this show. Robert, one of my favorite players ever uh, at Ohio State for a lot of reasons. By the way, uh, Boston, one of the things I also give Robert credit for is the indefatigable uh, approach he had when he was a player. And he and Mike Vrabel just stand out to me, and I've told you this before, when they would run wind sprints or, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, intervals, 
you know, after a practice or whatever, those guys always led their groups. They looked like they could have run for another 45 minutes. <laughs> I mean, they, they were just special. I mean, there are guys that come along that are special. It's funny because I saw on the, on the Pilot Boys podcast last week, Luke Fickle said, and Robert Smith, I think he listed him as one among the five best athletes he ever saw at Ohio State, at least while he was there, yeah. and without a doubt. I mean, the guy could have won the decathlon if he had put his mind to it, you know, and uh, could have been the next Bruce Jenner. Uh, wait, wait, that opens a Pandora's box, but you know where I'm going there. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was that kind of athlete. And, and like I said, he was even more of a treat to talk to off the field, but I uh, really appreciate him coming on and Boston appreciate you coming on. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week with another Tim May podcast. Until then, uh, keep your social distancing and stay safe. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.